Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Victor. Hi, I'm Victor Compulsive Overeater, and I've just caused this thing to buzz. Thank you very much. Um, by the way, if you happen to be our guest from out of town from Kansas, anybody listening to this podcast out there, this is California, so if we sneeze, breathe, the sun comes up, the sun goes down, if you introduce yourself, if you change your shoes, if you do anything, we clap. <laughs> so if you're from another part of the world out there and you wonder why we're clapping, it's just a habit of ours out in this particular part of the world. Um, Seventy years ago, seven zero, I was born about 20 miles from here, give or take, and in 1948, and I was born to my first higher power known as my mother. And I don't know whether I was born a compulsive overeater or if I became a compulsive overeater, but like a lot of other things in life, it really doesn't matter. I mean, it might be kind of interesting to go back in a time machine and find that one particular moment so I would know when that happened. But once again, that really doesn't matter. Um, once again, back in my first higher power, uh, I remember when I was five years old, I was going to go next door to play with the boy next door who was six years old, and that was like really old back in that day. And uh, I, like I think every younger kid, you would find kids that you look up to. And it's been my nature pretty much most of my life to try and share things with people, relatively open. I'm a little bit of an introvert when it comes to recharging my batteries, but generally speaking, I enjoy the company of other people. And so my mother told me I was not to share my cars or toys with the boy next door. And it was a little bit like hearing the thing going in one ear and coming out the other. I know what she said, but it wasn't my nature to do that. So when I came home, it was rather obvious I had shared some toys with the boy next door because some of them I didn't have anymore. And she proceeded to take a belt and whip me with a belt. And then within about a few seconds afterwards, hold me and tell me that she loved me and that she was sorry. And I learned a really important lesson in that moment. Life, your higher power, you're not going to know what the rules and regulations are, but you better damn well follow them, otherwise you might get hurt. And that was my first big betrayal in life. And I didn't have to have it I didn't need it to be done more than once because my mother was, would rage all the time. Not all the time, I shouldn't say that, but from time to time. And that mere fact that she would yell and scream at certain times, even my dad, even if it wasn't directed towards me, I still had that feeling of vulnerability. That somehow the person that, I, that brought me into this world, and the person, at least until I was five years old, had trusted the most in my life, was not somebody that I could really, truly trust. And as a result of that, oh, by the way, just a small amount of statistical information regarding my mom. She was five foot six and weighed 330 pounds. She might have been a duck or walked like a duck and quacked like a duck. 
But the bottom line is, is that she was also very good at teaching me how to deal with those things, those wonderful things called feelings, which I'll talk a little bit more in, in just a moment about. And how to use those, those that, how to use food to be able to stuff down my feelings, to anesthetize my st- myself by using that food all those years. I was a, a yo-yo in terms of dieting and weight over many, many years. But that's where I learned it. I learned it at my mother's knee, and she taught me well. And it seemed to me the most rational, easy thing to do. Uh, I wasn't old enough to drink or do drugs. And so, therefore, this was something that was socially acceptable. You would go over to friends, you go over to houses. Everybody wants you to eat something. And in our culture, and in many cultures, it's a way of connecting up with other people. But for me, it wasn't that. For me, it was a way of putting physical distance, mental distance, emotional distance, spiritual distance between other people and myself. So um, I continued on with that. Um, I remember when I was 14 years old and I just got out of uh, grammar school and was going into high school. During that summer, it was a high school where to go there, and I don't say this in terms of patting myself on the back, but just the fact that this was back in 1962. And you had to take an entrance exam when you were 14 years old to get into the high school. Now I know they do that when you're going to go into kindergarten, but this was way back when before they did that type of thing. And I remember during that summer, um, within the span of about two months, gaining 25 pounds because... I was fearful. I didn't know what I was going to expect when I got there. And it fit in with an image of myself. It fit in with an image of myself that this weight gave me strength, which in fact was not true. It made me weak, but I didn't understand that at the time because it was the only thing I understood was that I needed to be able to put distance between myself and other people so that they wouldn't see the scared person who was inside of me saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as other people. Like I'm going to fast forward for just a brief moment, if I may, with my first wife, who was my second higher power. And one day I was out uh, cleaning my motorcycle, and she came out one day, saw me doing that. And I re- it's really important that I emphasize here in a very calm, straight voice, without any judgment whatsoever, she said to me, gee, you spent a lot of time cleaning your motorcycle. I never cleaned it after that. That's where my self-esteem was or wasn't in this particular case. Because I didn't know how to deal with those wonderful things called feelings. I really didn't know how to trust someone else. I really didn't know how to open up completely because I had not really learned. My parents, even though I had obviously a little situation with my mom when I was younger, basically were decent people. But they didn't come to me and say, by the way, here's the book on how to deal with feelings. Here's what you name that feeling. Here's that feeling you might have in this particular set of circumstances. And so the only thing I really learned was that no matter what the feeling was, whether the feeling was happiness, whether it was anger, sadness, melancholy, joy, ecstasy, whatever it was, it's just something I did not feel comfortable in my own body with. And in order for me to be able to get through life, the only thing I knew at the time was to be able to use food once again to assuage all those feelings of not being uh, a self-worth person, of my own self-worth. So, a number of years went past. Uh, a couple of things happened. One morning I woke up, 
And I took a, an inventory count of the people that were in the house at that time. And there was myself, my son, my daughter. And then I stopped for a moment and I said, I must have miscounted. Let me go back and try that again. It was myself, my son, and my daughter. And it turns out that my wife had left the night before. And that was the last time we'd ever be together. And that brought me into, in fact, this room I was in probably within the first month of getting into a program that I needed 37 years ago. And say how old that was. See all those buildings out there? That was a parking lot at one time. That's how old the place is. That's how old I am. And the reason I bring this up is, is that I started to discover in doing inventory in this other program that this wonderful thing called food started popping up. And I would write things, and then all of a sudden, food would pop up again. And this kept popping up and popping up and popping up in the early days of this other program. So what I did was one of those wonderful plea bargains in life of my higher power. The plea bargain in life of my higher power was as follows. I will insert the word food into the first step, and that should get me through the night. And that way I won't have to worry about the uh, embarrassment and shame of having to go to Overeaters Anonymous, because I already knew about it at that particular point. You don't get into any 12-step programs and not start immediately hearing about the other ones. There's an old joke, by the way, as you probably heard this before, if you're not in more than one 12-step program, you're in denial. So. Uh, I was certainly in denial about the food, that's for sure. And I'm going to fast forward now to 10 years after coming into these rooms in another 12-step program. One of the things that I've learned is, is that my higher power does need to use a 2 by 4 to get my attention. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a moment to also tell you what my higher power doesn't do. My higher power doesn't find me a parking spot, doesn't wash my dishes, doesn't take out the garbage, and doesn't wake up in the morning and say, you know, it's been a while since Victor's had his time in the barrel. Let's send him something today just to teach him a lesson. Because as I've told people before when I've asked what their higher power was about, I said, if I had something like that as my higher power, the first thing I would do is fire the SOB and get a brand new one, because I don't need that. I've already got that in my head. What I need is a higher power who is on my side, who gives me love and understanding, the strength to do the things that I don't want to do, and that's what, believe me, as for those of you who obviously have been in for any time in these programs, it is not easy. Anybody who tells you this program is easy, they're lying to you. And so... Anyway, my higher power, whom I call various names, some of which are not, uh, I can't repeat in polite company, but, and occasionally, sometimes I use the three-letter word called God, but usually followed by other things as well, too, um, but does need a two-by-four sometimes to get my attention. So 27 and a half years ago, I was at work, and I was working in Pasadena at the time, and I got a call. And the call was from my wife, and we were expecting a son. And I needed to get home right away to take her to the hospital because that son wasn't going to make it outside of her. And I remember if you've driven down the Pasadena Freeway, there's this really nice, huge curve. By the way, the Pasadena Freeway was built in 1924 for cars that went 40 and 45 miles an hour. 
and I'm coming down there at about 75, and I'm about to ready to hit that curve. And something my sponsor in the previous program taught me right away is it important to deal with my feelings right away. But I understood and then learned a little bit of a corollary that day. It's important to deal with them right away, as, but especially if you need to take care of someone else or there's an emergency, don't kill yourself in the process because you're not going to be any good to anybody to do so. And I say that in this particular context because uh, after I got my wife to the hospital and got her home the next day, it was in the evening, and I got her in bed, and I knew there would still be other things that would need to be taken care of, but I asked her if she was basically physically okay at the time, and she said yes. And when she said that, I just let myself cry and bawl at the loss of the son that we were expecting. But as usual... Things don't always turn out the way that I want them to in life, but sometimes turn out a lot better. And as a result of that, uh, I remember going over to my wife one day. She was sitting down within a few days after this, and I cut this little ad out of the, uh, the local newspaper. And in the ad, they had what the person looked like before, and if you give us $3,500, and this was, you know, 27 and a half years ago, and then they take a picture of the before and after, the after picture, obviously, they have lost some weight, but they changed the lighting. They're standing with their body turned slightly, <laughs> taking in a very deep breath. And then they show you what they pick that person afterwards. But as I've told people before, the one thing they never do is they never show you what that person looks like next week, next month, next year, or 10 years from now. I think all of us at one time or another who have been in these rooms, we've been able to look good for a period of time. But that's not what this is about. It's not about my being able to find the self-will that I lacked all those years to be able to turn myself into a better person, to, excuse me, to lose the weight, to not be confounded when I finally realized that I could, oh my God, have more than two opposing feelings inside of my body at the same time, because I didn't know what the hell to do with us, that kind of thing. And it was important for me to go through the things that I needed to go to to allow that door of opportunity to open up. And when I showed that to her, that, that little uh, ad in the paper, I said, I don't want to do this, but I have a problem with food, which is probably fairly obvious at that point to her anyway. And she was nice enough to be able to say to me in a loving way, you might want to consider going to OA. So I did my due diligence a few days later, I had different names of, you know, different meetings in different places. And I was driving over here to the west side from where we were living at the time. I was driving on the Santa Monica Freeway. And I was heading on the Santa Monica Freeway to Santa Monica to go to another meeting and had yet to go to OA. And I said, well, now I know where this place is. And then my head said to me, yeah, but you're already going to this other meeting, so you really don't need to go to OA. And it kept going on and on and on like that. And one of the things that I have learned for myself is if I start debating myself, there's one thing guaranteed, and that's is I'm going to lose. And so rather than losing that particular battle, but you know, and I was willing to lose that and hopefully at least one day of the war at that particular time. By the way, the first day I came into OA was uh, January 16, 1991, approximately 7.26 in the afternoon at the church over on Hill Street. And it was the day that the first Gulf War started. And I remember just letting go of it, allowing myself to go over there. And for the first time in my life amongst people I knew 
didn't know anybody in that particular meeting. I was willing to raise my hand and say I had a problem with food, that I was a compulsive overeater, my life had become unmanageable, and this was my first step walking into that meeting. And my life had become unmanageable because I thought I could control not only the food, but every other thing in my life outside of me. And the reality is, is that there's one thing that maybe I can, and I have good days and bad days about this control, and that's my attitude. Pain is not an option. Suffering is. If I hurt myself um, or something else happens that hurts me, there's nothing really I can do about that other than take the best steps possible to take care of myself. But the choices I now get to make are, do I want to fall into self-pity and say, poor me? Is Why did somebody else do this to me? Even if that someone else was life as I understood or didn't understand it. So I'm going to bring that at that point to, to my feelings. Um, sometimes we hear about positive and negative feelings. In my humble opinion, those don't exist. They're just our feelings. I'm a human being. I'm a compulsive overeater. But part of what makes me a human being, and I come with standard issue on it, as far as you know, I'm not a sociopath. I hope I'm not. But what makes me part of what definitely makes me a human being is the fact that I have feelings. And these feelings, I don't need to judge. Because here's what happens for me, and I don't know if the same thing happens to you or not. A thought comes into my head. That thought will start generating a particular thought line process or a train of thought that goes down. And we start, as that happens, I start attaching feelings to that. Or I have a feeling, and then all of a sudden it kicks off the storyline, I start going down that road. Before you know it, I'm already somewhere in the future based on my life in the past. I'm, it's going to be August the 16th, somewhere in downtown Los Angeles in the middle of summer, 100 degrees. I'll be naked in six foot of snow. And that's what, my, that's what my brain will tell me. But the thing that I've learned now is, is I don't need to push those feelings down or aside, especially I don't need to use food to do so. I can let them come up. I can accept what they are. And this little interesting things happen. The sooner I accept that that's what the feeling is and it's part of me, and I'm not a bad person, and I'm not going to kill anyone because I'm this angry, it starts to go away. And I can work my program on that. I'm powerless over that feeling. My life had become unmanageable because in the past I thought I could control it. And there is a power greater than myself because if I take away the crutch of food, it leaves a vacuum. And what am I going to do with that? Well, there's a lot of choices in the society to do that with. But I chose, because this was handed down to me by people who walked the road before me, that if I take this particular path, there is a power greater than you that can help get you to the destination of sanity and serenity. And so if I'm willing to do that, then there is a good chance that I'm willing to take the, the uh, third step prayer. And for me, there's a little section of the third step prayer that kind of boils the whole program down to one thing. And that part of that third step prayer is relieve me of the bondage of self. 99% of the bad things I've ever thought of in my life have never happened. 99% things, of the things that I took uh, offense to in my life before I got into the program, which is now maybe down to 26.5%. I'm working on it because you don't see a halo nor any wings on me because I'm not a saint. I'm only a human being. But I don't have to go down that road anymore. 
I don't have to blame someone else. If it is someone else's fault, I may have to say a few things to get it out, and I won't go into a lot of detail about my, uh, what I'll call my resentment prayer, but when the person cuts me off on the highway, a few epithets come out, which I've referred to earlier as names I also call my higher power, because that's honest for me. I'm not a saint. I'm not going to sit there with my hands folded and say, gee, this person was really nice because they almost ran me off the road today, and I really feel warm and fuzzy about that, because that would be a lie. But once I've done that, then that, the suds of that bottle of soda that gets shaken up that's just ready to explode starts to relax and take it easy. So I can do the same thing with that when I have a problem with food that's facing me today. I can turn to my higher power. And my food plan now is different than my food uh, plan was a number of years ago, and it's all gone through a couple of changes. One had to do with the hours that I worked, one had to do with some health considerations that I just found out a, a few months ago, that if I don't take care of them now, you know, it'll shorten my life. And I'm not going to live forever, and I don't want to live forever. And people have said to me sometimes when they watch me eat or take care of myself, they said, are you trying to live forever? I said, no. I said, I might walk out here on San Vicente Boulevard right now and get hit by a truck. But between now and that time, or 10 or 5 years from now, whatever it happens to be, I want to have a good quality of life. That's all I want. So, if you're new, find somebody who's been down the road before you. Listen to what they have to say. And if for some reason you think they're crazy, then find somebody else. But for God's sake, whatever you do, don't stop coming to meetings. Because if you haven't heard your story somewhere along the line, someone will tell you that story. I'm tremendously grateful. that And food still attracts me from time to time and calls my name. But I don't have to go there anymore. And as importantly, it's brought uh, a reasonable degree of sanity in my life about other things, almost really everything in my life. Because as it says in the 12th step, besides carrying this message, I do need to practice these principles in all of uh, my affairs and our affairs as well, too. So, um, if you have any questions, please raise your hand. Thank you for letting me share. Well, that's a good question. Thank you very much. When food calls me from time to time, what do I do? Um, well, there's that little part of me that still wants to go, I can handle this now. You know, I've been doing this for 27 years, 27 and a half years of abstinence. So who needs all that other stuff? But as soon as I start doing that, I'm grateful that I can get at this particular point. I can laugh at the bullshit that comes out of my own mouth and, you know, goes between this, the, all the synapses in my brain. And then when I start hearing that happen, I can stop and say a prayer to my higher power, which I can do not only with a thought of food, but any other thought as well, too, that seems to be burrowing into my brain, and just laugh and just say to my higher power, I tell you what, I can't handle this right now, so I'm going to turn it over to you. And I pray for the guidance and the strength to do what I need to do. As I said earlier, he doesn't do my dishes. He certainly doesn't sit there and shovel food in my mouth. I do have a responsibility, but that's where I get it from. Go to a meeting, text somebody. The people I sponsor, I will also check sometimes when I have food thoughts come up because I think it's important for them to know I'm not a saint, I don't walk on water, and I would be putting myself in a position of being some type of guru or expert, and I'm not. I'm just, as the old saying goes, I'm just another bozo on the bus. So, hope that answers the question. Thank you. By the way, if I miss people on the right-hand side, 
Um, it's because I also am a compulsive pirate. Can't see anybody over on that side. So. Hey, but there's always good news. I get half off the 3D movies. <laughs> anyway, I thought he just had a two of a kind. Yes. That's that's a good question. Um, the first time around, 37 and a half years ago, I just dusted off the one I kept in the closet from years of going to a particular religious school. And I started off with that. I figured at least it was a starting point that I knew. But then as I, at times passed, I realized that once again, as I mentioned earlier, it was a punishing God, a punishing higher power. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, if I'm sponsoring someone, how would they like to be treated, and how would I like to treat them? I realized that I would want to treat them with compassion. So it's important for me also to treat myself with compassion as well, too. And out of that, I believe, in that connection comes my higher power. It's gone through a lot of iterations from the, you know, the guy with the white beard up on the throne um, to the most recent iteration of what I believe my higher power is. I believe in evolution. Don't ask anybody else to believe it, but that's what I believe in. And I believe if we've evolved physically over all these years to what we are today, I also believe that built in there somewhere which we didn't really understand or know about and are just starting to in these this last few hundred years beginning to recognize more and more and people have in the past as well too but I believe that it's our responsibility to evolve spiritually as well too and it's that if you would spiritual mass out there of evolution that provides me with the guidance that I believe is my higher power did that answer the question? thank you Deanna oh good I can go home now Excuse me. <clears throat> my abstinence, this is going to sound like from a textbook, but it's true. <clears throat> my abstinence is abstaining from compulsive overeating, situations that would put me in a place with people, places, or things that could cause compulsive overeating. And for, I will just, well, that's more of a food plan. I'll get to that in a moment. And to, you know, in my case right now, maintain a healthy body weight. My food plan, um, it started out as three meals a day, nothing in between. And then after a period of time, because of the nature of what I was doing for the last 30 years that I worked, I retired last year. I had sometimes to be up at odd hours of the night. And as an example, uh, the longest time I ever worked without sleep was 40 hours straight and had 24 hours and 32 hours and through there and sometimes I have to be at 2 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning and do that for two or three days straight getting catnips and I found that if I had to just eat three meals a day I wouldn't be able to distribute the energy because let's face it, I don't know if you've had the same thing when you feel tired or sleepy, guess what I want to do is I want to eat because it gives me energy so I modified that and right now I have anywhere from what some people would consider five or six meals a day but it's not grazing in the sense that it's open-ended. I, ha I, I write my food down every day that I eat. 
I have a way of measuring it so that I know exactly what I'm eating. <coughs> Pardon me. And about um, three months ago, I had a test that showed some blockage in one of my arteries. And I realized if I were going to live a bit longer, um, that I would need to change some of the foods that I ate. So some of the foods that I ate three months ago, I don't eat now. And it seems like a contradiction when the road gets narrower. That sounds like it's restriction. But it's not, because that narrow road is a road of freedom, because that means, you know, guess what? Every time I walked over the edge of that cliff down into the fell in the volcano, I wonder how the hell that happened. But now that I know where there is a road on either side of me and there's places I can stay within, I have a perfectly wonderful time. And, you know, guess what? I also eat a lot less, but enjoy it a hell of a lot more than I used to. And I just got the sign from the thank you, so thank you for letting me share.